Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Dora Muto, journalist, author, and former editor-in-chief of Konbini. Dora is the author of Mal Baiser, a book which denounces the patriarchy under the sheets and was the bestseller of more than 20,000 copies since its release in October of 2021. In this book, Muto speaks of feminism and female sexuality from a historical, social, scientific, and political point of view. I welcome Dora Muto to Savage Minds. Thanks for coming on. And I wanted to address you. your latest book, Mal Baiser, yes. which looks at patriarchy. Now, for many of our listeners, we have a lot of listeners who are feminists who can roll off a definition of patriarchy, no problem. But many people will take issue with the word. What is patriarchy? Patriarchy for me is like a, a system that we are living in that is pretty invisible if you don't really make an effort to look at it. So it's how society is organized around men and around men needs, around, and around men also sexual needs. And um, that's what my book is talking about, about how as women, we kind of, uh, our sexual life is all around them. And uh, we have a hard time discovering our own sexuality, our own needs. And also uh, we have a hard time, um, how can I say in English? Um, kind of like finding what we find exciting because the way it works is that men have a certain idea of what, is, what sex is about. And we kind of like, uh, it's like we, we use their, their personality, their idea about sex, and we make it ours. But if you really think about it, um, maybe it's not what women really want uh, in bed. Maybe it's not what they find sexy. Um, but yeah, so that's what the book is talking about. What do you say to people, both men and women, especially second wave feminists, who will say, but I'm empowered. Patriarchy is a myth. I can move as I wish because there are laws in the West that protect me. I can make the same money as a man. And if not, I can take my employer to court. I can enter into spaces that I want. And if not, I can take those people to court. Um... I understand what they mean, but I think there is, for me, empowerment and feminism are two very different way of, uh, of seeing uh, things in society. You can try to um, reach higher as much as you can as a woman, and you will say that you're empowered, but you will use men's mentality to get there. Um, you, you will make yourself very sexy. Uh, to get the best job. Uh, you will have to use uh, their language. You will have to use what they find intelligent, what they find sexy. So you can be empowered in this way, but for me, it's a fake empowerment. It means that you didn't really think about the structure of things, and you're just thinking about how personally you can get to the top. And yeah, it, it works. You, you can do that. But it means that you need to be uh, hot. But in a, I mean, when I say hot, uh, that's what men, uh, I mean, you need to, to, to look good 
in the eyes of men. Uh, you need to uh, have jobs um, that men find useful enough to get a lot of money. So it, for me, it's not about, um, feminism is about recreating a world uh, that makes sense for a woman, a world where we don't need to do all that, a world where uh, maybe what we find important can make enough money or um, as much money as what men find important. It means that uh, you don't have to shave maybe uh, your legs and you can be uh, a huge CEO and just have a skirt and have super hairy leg and you're still at the top. And for now, I'm still waiting for a woman like that to get at the top. And I think it's very difficult for now. We've seen the rights of women change enormously over the past 110 years, let's say the right to vote for women in the UK. And that right to vote did not exist for all women. It was a very class-based yeah. issue. A few years ago, we celebrated the centenary of suffrage. But I was very quick to point out that not all women were given the right to vote. Who was granted the right to vote were landowning women, first of all. The right to vote for all women followed yeah. later. It's very important to address class issues when discussing women's rights, but there seems to be something that's gone on even more perniciously in recent years, as I'm sure you've seen, the Me Too yeah. movement. Let's begin with that. Now, a lot of men and women say, well, Me Too's gone this far. Remember Catherine Deneuve yeah. right after said, ah, she and many other women signed on a letter. I think it was is published in the Devoir. I don't remember. But it was all about saying Me Too has gone trop loin. You know? Well, what the hell does that mean, really? Um, for them, it means that they, in French culture, some women really like, uh, in some way, uh, the patriarchal system because it makes them feel very desired by men. When they say that, it means that they, they like being harassed in the street in some way. Um, they like to get like sexual attention from men. And when they say that Me Too goes too far, is that because they're very scared of losing that, of, of losing men looking at them in a very sexual way. And um, it's very difficult for them because if, if, if you grew up like that, if you become, became old in this culture, and if your own worth is based on, is, is based on that, uh, then for them, it's very difficult. If men stop looking at them in a very sexual, harassing way, um, they think that they don't exist anymore. And that's what they mean, I think. How did we arrive at this moment that Me Too, which highlighted some of the more elite professions, right? Me Too was first coming out of Hollywood. And although sexism of anyone, rich or poor, is atrocious and rape, I'm thinking of the culture behind what happened with Harvey Weinstein and many others, there seems to be yeah. this weird collapse that also happened. What I found interesting, though, in the in the Me Too movement is that it was mediatized very quickly. It was somehow put to the fore of all announcements on the TV and in papers, yet very little happened, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we didn't see somehow the UN, which is working on making possible for teens to 
become quote unquote sex workers. This is what's happening in a lot of NGOs and in the UN yeah. where now the empowerment politics of just teaching 16 year olds to suck a cock, that's never been addressed. So yeah. the Me Too movement seems to me to be what we call in English window dressing, a facade. I agree. What is your take on what's happened since 2018? I would say that when it happened, it gave me so much hope and that I'm very, very disappointed because um, I think the sex work lobby and the trans, uh, trans um, identity lobby, uh, queer lobby got so, so, so big and it, it kind of ate that movement. Um, they, they kind of used it. and. It worked so well because now mainstream feminism is all about sex work and trans identity. Um, and I, sometimes I wonder how this really happened, but um, I think there is so much money uh, put in uh, these two subjects at the moment. Um, and it went so fast and the problem is that Right now, at least in France, uh, we are very few women to fight against um, both subjects. And um, it's like, it's gigantic. And the laws are changing so fast. And uh, I mean, if we're not even 10 women in France, like, I don't, I don't even know how we're gonna, I mean, it's, I, I don't have so much hope, to be honest. What kind of laws are you referring to when you say they're changing so quickly? Yeah, for example, laws about, around trans identity in Europe, it's going very fast. Uh, for example, in Switzerland, uh, in I think it was beginning of January, um, to, they just made it possible that you become a female or a male in literally three seconds. You just you just go to the, um, I, don't, I don't know what to say in English, La Mairie. Uh, city Hall. Yeah, you, you just go to the City Hall and you just say, like, I'm a woman or a man. You've, like, the, the biological reality has nothing to do with it. You can just restart a new life just like that. And you don't even have to take hormones or you don't have to have therapy or you don't have to, I mean, to have surgery. You mean... You, you need nothing you, you just say you're a woman or you just say you're a man and, and that's about it and I, I find it <laughs> so crazy I find it insane and uh, and in France there is some laws um, around uh, uh, that's the problem in English I don't know uh, how to how to translate um, which uh, it, uh, co conversion therapy that, yes. uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a law about co conversion therapy. So at the beginning, it was a, a law that was only about like uh, homosexuality. And of course, I'm against uh, conversion therapy uh, for homosexual people. It, it makes no sense and it's awful. Um, but uh, suddenly um, they added uh, inside the law, identité de genre, so gender identity. <laughs> so yeah like that just like that and the media didn't say nothing about it because they don't understand what it means or maybe they're fine with it i don't really know um so suddenly it was about um uh, uh stopping uh, conversion therapy for homosexual people and for people who are i guess trans 
Um, and I tried to raise attention on that, on the fact that adding a gender identity into this law uh, was maybe, maybe we should think about it more. Um, because it's really strange. At the same time, they're saying that conversion therapy for uh, homosexual people and for, for example, lesbians is wrong. And at the same time, um, uh, like um, transitioning can be a conversion therapy for a lot of people. Um, for example, in Iran, um, homosexuality is banned. You can you can you cannot be homosexual, or you will go to prison. Uh, so it's one of the country where there is a, the most uh, one of the highest number of um, trans uh, people because uh, there is so many conversion because. Because, for example, you're a lesbian and you cannot be a lesbian in this country uh, or you will have big problems, so you become a man and that's fine. So I was trying to point that, saying that, look, uh, it's kind of a strange thing. In one way, you say that it's wrong and in another way, you recreate it. And um, I got so terribly harassed for that. It was insane. Like all the lobbies, all the activists, since they sent me death threats, um, they cut my, uh, uh, they cut stuff on my uh, bike. Uh, so I would get an accident. Like it, would, it went really crazy. I, I got really scared this time with the harassment and uh, yeah, so there is a lot of laws that are changing like that. And the problem is that uh, the media doesn't, doesn't make so much noise on it, or it's all, only the right, uh, the, right, the right side of politics. And the way they, they, I mean, they're against homosexuality as well. That, that is the problem. Yes, it does depend, though. I have to say that in the US, for instance, where 30 years ago, the right was not pro-homosexuality. Today, mm -hmm. they tend to be more supportive of gay rights and are almost on par with the quote-unquote left, although the Democrats are not the left, they're neoliberals. And it's, it's shocking to me, though, that Switzerland, I mean, let's recall yeah. Switzerland's history because it was the first country where I worked in after I finished university. And one of the first things I learned living in Switzerland are you aware when Swiss women got the right to vote? Because Swiss know what women are because they were able to repress them from voting, right? Because by the really? end of 1970, nine out of 25 cantons only allowed women to vote. So from 1970 wow. to 1990, it was extended to other cantons, but still in 1990, you had problems <gasps> of women having access to vote. It wasn't until well, the end of 1990 in the Appenzell Interhoden where women were finally allowed to vote. But this is insane. Switzerland was one of the latest countries on the planet, not just in the West, to allow women to vote as a, an entirety. Oh, that's a misogynist country. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> the funny thing here, though, is that they know what women are because they knew who to repress the votes in. I, I imagine men in skirts in the 1950s were still allowed to vote. So, and you, you refer to something that's interesting and I sort of wanna go back to that. People who've had surgery or hormones. Yeah. I am pretty out about this. 
but I'm just going to play devil's advocate for the sake of okay. it. Why would it matter if a man takes hormones or wears a mini skirt or wears je- like the point of sex and sexism as we have fought it both today and our grandparents historically, our grandmothers, I should say, is yeah. that we are oppressed on the basis of our sex, something that we can see just as we can see on Facebook photos, no matter how well photoshopped, we still know who's a man right i agree yeah i agree so (laughs) why has this been pulled into who's taken hormones who's got lipstick who's the more feminine because in a way in not in a way in entirely this is pitting everything back to stereotype it's about men reenacting the worst of sexist stereotypes that women and our great-grandmothers had to fight about and fight against to vote to leave the house, to be able to work, to be able to have a contract, to be able to have a bank account. Now, your country, my countries, I'm both Canadian and American, but it's amazing how many people in the West think that embracing these men is the kind thing to do, but they do not understand that embracing these men is the most unkind thing that one can do for women and girls and boys and children. Of course. That's that's uh, that's. It's just, I, I don't even understand how people can believe that it's the right thing to do. It's just it, since I've been interested in this subject, I, I, I'm such in shock. Like I'm such in <laughs> shock that a lot of women don't get. It. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what? it's so obvious. Like, it, it's it, of course we're oppressed by sex and not by gender. Like, this is just. But I think so many people don't understand the difference between sex and gender. And I find that a lot of Americans, when they talk about sex, they say gender. So I think there is a wording problem. It's it's so unclear in the mind of so many people. And I think a lot of women have a, too much empathy. Like empathy is destroying us. There, there, there's, something, there's something wrong with being so empathic. It's like women don't have uh, self-protection like it's it's like some women don't have an alarm anymore and they, they will lie to themselves like they will pretend that a man is the uh, that uh, a man is a woman and deep down sometimes i'm like but girl i mean uh, you know it's a man like you know he's he's a man and you know he he is a he pretends to be a woman but he still has a penis he didn't even cut it you know and 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 I don't know, some women, it's just so crazy. They will call me a turf and they will insult me and they will get so mad at me. Like really, like, it, I feel it comes from their gut. And I'm, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why are they so mad at me for saying the truth? Uh, it's it just, I, I don't know. Like uh, for me at the end, it's very sad, but it says a lot about women. It says a lot about how brainwashed we are, how we don't even have a, a conscious of our own on body, uh, bodies anymore. Like, how, how can you not understand that you have periods and, and men will never get them? How can you not understand that you will go through menopause? How can, how can you, like all these things, even all this disease that we have as women that are not even cured today, like that will never happen to a man. Like, I, I, for me, it's just, it's incredible. Like I look at what's happening and I'm like, wow, I, I'm living this right now i can believe i can believe and let's not accept that there are women who claim to be men yeah that said there are two different drives for both groups and after i've interviewed ray blanchard on the show and he clearly spoke about the two types of men 
who identify as women, one predominantly gay men and the other heterosexual men who have autogonophilia. So the prognosis for women who identify as as men is very undiscussed. It's underdiscussed. And there are a lot of women who make exceptions for them. So you'll be in groups for women and you'll find women who identify as men in the groups because these feminists will say, well, they're really women. But then that makes one question, well, to what degree are these women who say they're men really believing that they are men, right? I mean, it becomes this very strange hall of mirrors where words are becoming these proxies for reality. And then let's go back to some of the myths behind this. I jump back to Simone de Beauvoir. You've seen it. I've seen it. My jaw fell to the ground when I read trans writing saying, well, she wrote on the n'est pas femme, on le devient. A woman is not born a woman, she becomes one. That's the sign, says the trans dude, that I can make myself into the woman. I'm like, wait, that's not what she said. She's not saying. They never read the book. Yeah. And it's funny in a way that all of this is coming about on social media where you have this, this similar cutting of language and of of length. You can't have more than 120 characters, a hundred and so many characters to make a point. Of course, no one can have a proper discussion in a few hundred characters at any rate, but that's Twitter for you. And you have these people arguing that they really are, you turf, suck my dick, says no women, right? And I've been told to suck so many quote unquote women's dicks. I mean, there's air quotes all over this word. And you know, we know that women don't run around saying to suck their dicks because one, women don't have dicks. And even if we did, we wouldn't run around telling people to suck them now, would we? You know, I mean, no. <laughs> and, and, and so here we are having to explain to these men who can't read Simone de Beauvoir, but they've perverted the sense of on, on the n'est pas femme. Wait, she was talking precisely about this. So now, we have come full circle where she has pointed out 80 years ago that indeed women are socialized into these boxes and we must break out of them. But we have now men 80 years later telling us if you like flowers and cooking, then you're a woman. Where before we were told women like cooking and like flowers. So it's been this entire uh, reversal of sign and sense, if you catch my meaning here. Yeah, sure. And, And how is it that countries across Europe are embracing this shit? I mean, this is pure shit, even if they got the yeah. chop chop. There's a great book by uh, Tahar Benjelun called L'Enfant du Sable. He wrote it in French. I don't know what it's called in English, actually. It might be Child of the Sand. But it's a book that deals with this reversal of sex and gender. And then later, you have another book by another Moroccan writer, Abdelkabir Khatibi, Le Livre du Son. So, and I have no idea if that's been translated into English, but Le Livre du Son takes a figure called Muthna, and Muthna in Arabic means hermaphrodite and androgynous. And in this book, you have a character called Dr. Kateb. Kateb in Arabic means to chop, to cut, chop, chop. The whole book is a kind of parody, but more tragic, of what happened in Casablanca with the major sex change clinic there, run by a French doctor for many, many years, who 
successfully, quote unquote, was able to make men into their dreams, right? Their fetish. Now, all of this is very critiqued in the 60s and 70s in Moroccan literature and philosophy because Khatibi went on to write a lot about about this. He has books on this. So okay. I'm wondering, and then you have Roland Barthes, who also wrote yeah. about this in his work. Now, how is it that we are in these allegedly liberated countries, you referred to Iran earlier, where people like me, I'd have to like have me or my wife dress up in men's clothes to, to, to be accepted or to not be imprisoned. But how has it become the default that one transition is the other's forced conversion? Because obviously we saw this 10 years ago when this debate started, you cannot be gay and then be told that becoming trans is anything other than conversion therapy for homosexuality or for them vice versa because they make the claim that if i'm a butch woman and i say i'm a man that you're telling me i'm a lesbian is actually conversion therapy not homophobia right so we're living in this very bizarre universe where homophobia is having a second wind and it's got a very strong gale behind it it is being blown and we're seeing now only in recent the last 18 months has there been so many gay men and women coming up to say no before that no before i've been writing about this for 10 years and i would get emails from gay men and women saying i agree with you but i'm afraid to because i'm known because i'm an actor because i'm a comedian now they're speaking out yeah, in South, a few weeks ago, there is a, a a guy, a director of a big NGO, a gay NGO, who quitted and they said that it was it was the team was taking over, and right. that uh, he 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 didn't want to. And um, I also spoke to the government about that to Marlene Schiappa uh, in France. Uh, she she she's a how do you say? A, uh, a minister, yeah, a minister. She works at the ministry, and um, uh, one of the guy who's in charge um, is a, a gay man. Um, who used to be a director of NGOs, and he said he said that he knew, he knows what's going on. So, I, well, I don't know. Uh, Can you speak they- more about what's happening in France in terms of the laws? And which groups have spoken out on both sides? That would be really interesting for our listeners to hear about what's going on there, the bigger political scenery. Um, around trans identity, you mean? Both trans identity and the pushback, both within culture, whether it's heterosexual or gay, but then specifically gay rights groups. Yeah, in, I mean, in the gay rights groups, for now, it, it, it doesn't move so much around the subject of trans identity because most of most people are scared to talk about it. And for now, uh, be, uh, I feel that most people right now don't even, I mean, I mean, young people, they will use the word queer um, instead of saying lesbian or gay. So for now, it's, it's like really, really mixed together. And they even... Uh, mixed together also like um, sex workers it, it became like a, a real big flag with everything inside um, and and for now it, it doesn't it doesn't move so much and really nothing is happening I feel that there is almost no resistance in France um, and around the subject of trans identity I would say that 
uh, for now, um, on the left, it's clearly not moving. It's even uh, getting pushed by um, Mélenchon. Mélenchon is uh, trying to be a president. And uh, he's saying that in his program, um, he will make gender change very, very easy, just like Switzerland, basically. So he's trying to get votes on this idea. Um, so yeah, he's clearly pro-gender identity. And on the right, we have uh, Eric Zemmour with uh, the right right, uh, who's against it. But the problem is that he, he hates women too. So he, if, I mean, it's not a good choice if you're a feminist because uh, he's pro-sex work. Uh, he doesn't want um, to help uh, single moms. Uh, well, so it's on both sides. It's there is no good choice. At least for now, for uh, when I think about voting, I'm a bit like shit. <laughs> Right. Well, earlier this summer, last summer, we saw what happened in Bordeaux. Have there been other incidents similar to where obviously lesbians are speaking out more than gay men at this point, but not enough? Still, are there any lesbian rights groups in France, even in the larger cities, that have become more active in speaking out or organizing? It's so small. It's super, super niche. There is Résistance Lesbienne. Uh, which is a very small group of women, but uh, I mean, uh, maybe there are six or maybe eight women maximum. It's like super, super small. Um, and for now, they seem to be the only ones. It's um, it, it, it's super niche, like medias, they don't even talk about it, but um, and they get harassed a lot by XY media. It's like, um, they call it a trans-feminist media. So it's a group, it's yeah, trans-feminist media, I'm like whatever. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they made the- Le phallocratie. Yeah, exactly. And they, they did a crowdfunding and they got so much money. And I think they are funded by also a different <laughs> NGOs and lobbies, etc. So now they're, they have time uh -huh. to produce a lot of, I mean, the, the content is well-produced uh, about that. and they say they lie they lie all the time it's it's so crazy they say that uh it's the lesbians who are harassing them and that they're transphobic and they're, they're really good at like uh, creating a, a fake reality they they lie they basically lie all the time and it works because so many young people they repost what they share um and the problem is that I feel that the radical feminist scene in France is super, super small. It's not like in the UK or in the US. I feel it's very, very small and that there is no funding. There is no money. So there is no, there is small blogs. Uh, there is good blogs, but they're, they're, they're quite old school. They're on, let's say, Blogspot or all these old platforms and they create very good content, but it takes time to read and People right now, they want Instagram stuff. They want to a TikTok. And there is not, I, I don't know any uh, radical feminist TikToker or like, I, I feel uh, the, the queer propaganda in France is, is, is really big and organized. And, and they're very good at creating like funny content, like easy content. When um, radical feminists are older and they like big blog posts and 
of, they read books and they make book reviews, but no one wants to read that today. People don't have time for that. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. Part of the problem, as I see it, is that social media has made this far worse. Yes. And I do wonder if this would be happening at all without social media. We see how these men are able to Photoshop their faces, if they even have their faces. Many have Japanese anime figures. exactly. Hypersexualized animation. And they're able to continue the lie that they are women and get support for this because it's a a niche political money-making sector. And it is being heavily financed by people on on all spheres of the political spectrum, but largely on the left. And it is a a great cash cow for NGOs. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of evidence to show that the UN and many NGOs working in child protection are actually enabling adolescents to become sex workers, which is quite a not very progressive idea. Let's put it out there. So, and at the same time, where we were handed, let's say the mantra in the 80s of acceptance of gay men and women, especially gay men who were thought to be pariahs, who were thought to be deadly contagion, that changed. Then we had the acceptance of same-sex marriage or the registration of civil partnerships like in Italy. And so things like that happen. Then we got to this other thing called sexuality is a preference. And my sexual desire for a child is just like homosexuality. And if you want to make money and you don't have a job, says many councils in England, go out and become a sex worker. So we've had all these blurred lines put out there by NGOs, the public sector, politicians and the government that together are sending messages that empowerment is part and parcel of owning your identity and that exploitation doesn't really exist. Okay. So that's why I jumped back to the Me Too movement because it was like people were saying, well, she slept with Harvey Weinstein. She wasn't oppressed. And I'm thinking if you have to sleep with someone in order to do the profession you love, that's not called a choice. No. People can make all kinds of arguments about it, but the irony is that this is something that predominantly and uniquely affects females or what I like to call front holers, because that's how we're being referred to now, vagina havers, yeah. <laughs> menstruators, or just bitches. So we are the ones that get to be the litmus test for all these items that men on Twitter and Instagram get to sound off on. Oh, you're just a yeah. turf. You're just a bigot. And I love my favorite is when they just, there's no mention of race anywhere. But somehow, the minute you say someone's a man, you're just racist. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) I'm talking about a white man who's sent a dick pic to someone, you know? So we've got this very strange paradigm out there where this lobby has glued itself to everything woke, including having a few spokespeople, spokesmen largely, who are black men. 
And I've seen this being evolved in the US and in Canada, where there's certain poster boys for this movement, and they tend to not be white, because obviously, mm. you can attack that more easily. So then you get Clever. to your, yeah, exactly. You're just you're just a Karen. Shut up, bitch. Suck my dick, Karen. And so I've I've been watching this evolve over the past decade. And there are weeks when I think things are getting better for us. And then there are weeks when I think, let's move to Iran and have more rights. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't even know what to say because I, 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 I just, it's like almost my brain doesn't want to understand what's, what's going on and when i it's so weird because when i try to talk about this to my grandma or to women who aren't into feminism they don't believe me they, they start to laugh and they're like no no what are you saying like that's a joke what you're saying and 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 it's not a joke and the problem is that i don't i don't see i don't i don't see how we're gonna fight this because i feel that we at, le at least in France, I feel that we're going to have to have some big drama, big problems. Maybe it's going to take 10 years so people understand what's going on. I, I feel that a lot of children will take pu puberty blockers and maybe uh, in 10 years they will attack their parents or they will attack the clinic and then maybe maybe we will wake up or maybe uh, some men will rape women uh, in, uh, I don't know, in sports, uh, when they have to change their clothes, or I feel that we, we that people will only wake up um, if some really terrible shit happens. If not, I... Well, already some shit has happened. Uh, in Montreal, about six or seven years ago, this trans man who identifies as a woman mm -hmm. burnt down a sex change clinic in North Montreal. And not surprisingly, that wasn't covered in the news. I found it in a very right wing site. I verified it. It was true. And wow. just like certain murders that happen where a man has killed like those two women and their child in California, the only media that covered that murder was of the right. I was really floored when I got into journalism to find out that you couldn't just pitch a story honestly. You can't just write The Guardian and say, I'd like to look about, I'd look at the subject of this man who killed this lesbian couple. They won't take it. They won't take it because I said man. They won't take it because it's a homicidal man who identifies as trans. So it's not yeah. covered. And as you, you know, I spend, I have this thing I do once in a while on my Facebook page called This Ain't fucking news and i take a screen cap of cnn and i do this thing where i'm doing redaction on it because if you look at cnn even today it's like they're in love with donald trump every other story is about donald trump kanye west some tiff that kanye got in with some comedian from snl it's just like there is zero news zero news yeah. and people wonder why no one wants to take the vaccine if you can't tell the difference that a man in a dress isn't a woman and you're calling yourself a scientist i'm not going to take the vaccine we're so bad with understanding the truth because the very sources of information the media lie to us and this isn't a secret we've known about this the media has 
only gotten worse over the years. Since I'd say 2001 is when the media took a deep dive into the shitstorm of lies. We got into a war in Iraq because of Judith Miller and other New York Times journalists, but hers was the number one story that was used, not intelligence, it was her story that Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice brought to legitimize a war for weapons of mass destruction, all a lie. And there are dozens of examples of this. I covered the Y-Spot incident. I was waiting for a journalist to cover it properly because I did not want to do it because trans issues I hate. I think it's absolutely absurd that in this day and age, we have to argue or discuss That's something crazy. so clear. Like everyone knows that these are men, yeah. even their BFF female friends will never go up to these men and say, oops, you have a tampon on you because I just had no. my period. It will never happen. And th these women lie. So we not. know that they're lying. They know that we know that they're lying, yeah. but we're having to discuss this. So this is my number one hated story to cover. I cover it because as you mentioned earlier, the media is not doing its job. I'm happy to do it. But so go back to last summer. It was week three. Still no one properly covered the Weisbach story. You had fake news stories coming out of major media. I was really shocked by the slate wow. piece and another major media story. So I said, well, this is bullshit. So I did it in five minutes on Twitter. I'm not even exaggerating. I found a confirmation video. So the video of the Weisbach incident is one of them. There was a video made by a lawyer who videoed the woman making the video of the Y-Spot incident. So all those media outlets lying and saying it was a fake story, the video was fake. Well, you can't fake two videos. I got the guy on the phone, interviewed him. Within a few hours, he was really generous with his time. He's a lawyer based in Los Angeles. I was able to tease out the lies like that. He, thanks to him. Now, why didn't Slate do this? Why didn't the New York Times, the LA Times, all of these places that ran fake news stories lied? And we know why they lied, because women, it, we are a very convenient target for lies. We're underpaid for work. We have less time because we still do the dominant and larger proportion of domestic labor and child rearing. So we basically are left the most vulnerable out of the two sexes. We don't have the time or the money to fight this. No, exactly. That's the big problem. And today in France, I, I, I got an email about like exactly what you're talking about. One of uh, a girl I know uh, was doing a gender critical uh, documentary and uh, she was supposed to get uh, a scholarship, like a fund. Um, and she was supposed to get almost 10,000 uh, to finish the documentary. And today she wrote me an email saying that they don't give him the fund. And she said that the queer stapo, uh, like, you know, the guest stapo, but <laughs> queer, queer stapo uh, just came in and that's how uh, she didn't get it. So basically in France, and I, I try myself, like it's been a while that I want to do a, a documentary about, like I wanted, I wanted to do a, a documentary about turf. Uh, like I wanted to make an exploration about what is a turf and uh, to, to, to go and meet a lot of women who are like harassed because uh, they are called uh, with this uh, stupid name. And um, for now, I, I can't, I, it's too hard to sell a documentary like that. Uh, um, it, for now, I, I don't manage to do it. 
I can't. I mean, or I would have to do a crowdfunding, but um, the media doesn't want this kind of content. They, they don't want it. So, so we either you are rich enough to, to just produce it yourself or, um, or you don't do it. This raises other issues, however. Obviously, class issues, time, our exploitation in terms of time and money mean that we can't go after these media outlets. I interviewed on the show. <laughs> Do you remember the Netflix protest? <laughs> yeah. So I interviewed Vito, who was one of the comedians who was there. And it's quite lovely when you've got men who understand it. I mean, he didn't spend years reading through this stuff as many, many people have. He just got it. And he went there to say, Dave Chappelle is funny. And you know, comet jokes are funny, right? Well, they got into big shit storm there as well, because the fact is that nobody now wants even men joining in because the wave has turned. It's not just turning. More people are speaking out than speaking for, if you look on Twitter, the people who are liking the trans zealots are few and far between. Katie Montgomery, you'll get banned if you call Katie Montgomery a man, sort of, but not always. I called him a man recently. I didn't get banned yet. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but this is the thing. We've got major media in one corner. We have NGOs getting pumped with money from like the Soros Foundation gave $250,000 uh, 18 months ago to The Guardian to run stories, right? $250,000 wow. buys a lot of trans coverage. Wow. And, and then you've got the institutions like GLAAD and all the gay and lesbian institutions that are happy to take money because, hey, when AIDS was no longer a life and death issue after Crixivan came in the market, protease inhibitors, as it were, that became a, a, a safe issue. Then we could leave that. Gay marriage settled. So trans became that replacement issue for the gay community. I don't know how we let that happen because I was not on board. <laughs> a lot of this is about capitalism, is it not? It is. It is. It, it makes a lot of, I mean, this new gender industry, it makes so much money. Uh, you can sell anything saying it's gender, gender neutral or gender, whatever. Uh, also like the pharmaceutical industry, it makes so much money. Like if you start doing hormones, it's for life. So it's, I mean, and it's also in link with uh, governments because sometimes, um, at least in France, it's part, um, it's taken in charge. It means uh, we pay, we all pay for that. Um, and I find it so insane because recently I discovered that I have a, a leg disease called lipodem. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a disease that is only um, a disease that women have. And uh, it's a disease of, of the fat. So it creates like a very, uh, like, it's like fat that is um, sick. And uh, this in France, if you need surgery or if you need, I mean, if you need treatment because uh, um, it's linked to hormones, they will not take it in charge. You have to pay everything for yourself. But if you say that you're a, you're a man, if you say you're a woman and you say you're a trans uh, man, then you will get surgery. Then you will get hormone treatment. It's so, it's so crazy. So like even endometriosis, which is also a disease uh, uh, that a lot of women do, we had to fight so hard in France. I have this disease as well. So we, we had to fight so much to, to get it reimbursed. And it just happened like literally a month ago that it's finally taken after 10 years fighting but 
I find it so crazy that for all this uh, disease that are uh, uh, that happens to only females, uh, for now in France, uh, I mean it's like you have to pay for yourself. But if you say uh, you're you're trans, then so much so much stuff are taken in charge: hormone surgery, a psych psychiatrist. Um, I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how how people think that's okay let's look at menstruation and menstrual yeah. products. This is something I've had a problem with my entire life. Why should we have to pay for it? This is the alternative. Hear me out. I hope my yeah. readers won't be too grossed <laughs> out. Where is the law that we have to even use them? I had this idea for a film. I make film, documentary, but I'm one day soon when my kids are a little older, I'd like to make more fiction film. And I'd like to have a film, a short called The Day Without, I don't know, Menstrual Products. And in the film, I'd just like a film of women bleeding all over the place, bleeding on mm -hmm. the subway. Why should we have to pay for that? This goes back to the inherent sexism within our culture where we're expected to pay for menstrual products. The way that men are given Viagra in most countries that they do not have to pay. Even in the United States, if you're covered by health insurance, that's paid. But there are certain conditions that women will not have paid. So what is happening within society such that so many years after the vote, so many years of feminism and menstrual products are not free? This seems quite basic, if you catch what I'm saying here. Exactly, it's like toilet paper. Right, right. At least toilet paper is something that both sexes need, and men might argue we need more. Yeah, but it's free everywhere. If you, if you go to a restaurant, it's free. Like It makes sense for everyone that we all need it, so we it should be the same with the pa uh, menstrual pads, etc. It should be the the same logic. Well, it's true. Men get Viagra for free, but condoms, no unless you go to a gay bar, gay bars are very generous with the free condoms. But why is it that mm. women have to pay prices for our bodies quite literally, and men get red carpet treatment for everything that has to do with their jouissance to, I mean, it's not just orgasm, everything men want yeah. that has to do with their bodies tends to be covered in countries with socialized medicine, where what you pointed out, often women do not have that same coverage. And then recent medical surveys no, and studies have shown, and this came out recently in The Guardian, that a higher rate of women die under the hand of male surgeons. This is rather shocking. Yeah, I read that. Well, if it doesn't shock me so much. I get so many messages of women who, have, who are so sick and, and and unfortunately, uh, all these diseases are, are not taken in charge. For example, I get so many messages from women um, who have vaginismus. So they cannot get penetrated because uh, it hurts so bad. And um, I, I, I tried to make a big research on that. And I read a lot of medical books. And it's so insane. Where, I mean, in the medical books, it, it still says it means uh, that a woman don't they that they don't like penis that they're lesbians. Um, when this woman the the women were writing to me are heterosexual and and they would like to have intercourse but they 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 literally can't because either they have a nerve problem or or sometimes it's also because of old infections. Well, th there is so many reasons it can happen, but most of the times when they go to a doctor, what they give them is like a 
a kind of um, a cream um, that like it's like an anesthesia, you know, it, it makes you feel nothing, but but then you can get a penetration, but it's so fucking crazy. Like, how can this be like the answer? And then women, they, they because they feel bad with their partner and they know that most women, uh, most men will go away if they don't get their dick in the vagina vagina or or somewhere else uh, so uh, then they, they feel that they have to do it and then they 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 never get a, a solution when uh, when there is reasons like I did a lot of research on that a lot of a lot of the time it's a nerve problem uh, in the back and uh, a lot of um, osteopaths or uh, chiropractic uh, practic doctor they can solve it um, but to solve it sometimes you have to um, have um, you need to get in the vagina and do some massage inside but in France now it's um, it's forbidden they uh, for some reason they decided that uh, doctors cannot touch you inside if it's not a surgery it's just so fucking stupid like why not if the woman is fine with it if it's like if there is consent and if it's medical if it can help but well so so many women get totally stuck with this kind of health issues how do they do pap smears then if there's no penetration allowed uh, uh, they're allowed to do it just for that in in the giant but it's like um that's accepted for some reason. I don't even know why that's okay, but... You have become quite active in health concerns. Over, uh, can you tell me the name of this in English? Hyperballonné. Hyperballonné, yeah. Uh, so, hyperballonné, let me, uh, in English, it's when you have a lot of gas, like your tummy is uh, full of gas. And uh, so my first book uh, is about a disease called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, so it's a disease of um, uh, the upper intestine uh, where you have uh, too much bacteria. You, you, you should have a lot of bacteria, but um, at the end of the intestine in the colon, uh, because this is where um, the bacteria, they eat the food that you couldn't get in your blood and then you poop. So it's normal, but uh, when the bacteria, the, it, it goes, um, it goes up because you have a problem with constipation or digestion is not good. Then the bacteria, it stays up and it creates gas. It means like you're going to eat something and literally 20 minutes after you're full of gas and it hurts so bad. And then your social life is kind of a problem because you have to mm -hmm. fart all the time. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. a disaster. It's like uh, not a, it's a very unsexy kind of uh, unglamorous kind of disease. Well, that's very uh, cultural too, however, because if you go to India and you fart all over the place, well, <laughs> that's fine. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, with this disease, it's really like intensive let's say <laughs> it's not like a few farts it's like really hardcore and uh, I, I I got sick with that 10 years ago and I went to see a lot of doctors and they told me that it was all in my head and that women have daily problems and all this stuff and I got really uh, obsessed with this problem and I got very into microbiology I got so interested into that and when I found out about the problem, and I mean, the problem is kind of 
uh, well known in United States uh, and in English countries there is some research and stuff but in France for some reason no one cares about that so I was I, I just decided to write a book about that in France and to make a documentary so um, so I mean sick people can know about this disease and, and know how, what to do to get uh, healthier. In terms of, of medical issues are you finding that women are treated entirely differently in terms of this one illness that we've just discussed or is this just something that's more taboo because of the nature of let's say flatulence associated with it yeah i think i mean men and women have this disease i think it's uh, probably the same amount because a lot of men are writing to me as well um, I would just say that men are, are, are more okay with flatulence. They, they don't suffer as much from it, socially speaking. I mean, uh, uh, physically speaking, it hurts as bad as if you're a woman or a man. But um, a, a man that is in a couple can fart, for example, in bed or it's okay. It, it doesn't make him um, attractive. But uh, a woman with... A lot of women, for example, they cannot even poop uh, when they're in a, in a vacation with their boyfriend. They will, they will uh, try to not poop in front of him. They will get constipated for days and days. And when women have this kind of disease, it can be the SIBO, it can be Crohn's disease, it can be a lot of intestinal disease. Uh, then for them, it's really, really hard. And uh, in my life, I had this problem because... Um, I'm not 100% cured and I still have really strong constipation and I have to do NMS a lot of time. And uh, a lot of men will not accept that. And it's really crazy because they, they, they have this idea of, I don't know, of uh, a woman with a healthy body and, and that doesn't fart and that smells always good. So it's very socially... Um, difficult uh, to have intestinal disease as a woman. I would love to see any of these men who identify as women um, <laughs> exploit pet flatulence. Um, I've always <laughs> said that I'll believe that there's such a thing as transgender as an actual medical condition. The minute I am presented with one single man who says he's a woman because he wants to be exploited, underpaid, ignored, you know, it's, it's quite interesting when you see them on social media saying, well, no one's listening to me. And then a feminist every so <laughs> often will come on and say, that's what it's like being a woman, get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so the irony is that what you've described in terms of women's bodies, and I have friends, I've always found this weird when they say they can't use the toilet at their own home, they use the toilet to do bowel movements outside of the home if their boyfriend or wow. husband is at home. And I'm like, that's weird. It's your home. There are yeah. these very strange social contracts that some women and men engage in. And I'd have to say that in as much as we can talk about the patriarchy, to what degree are women enabling this? Because shouldn't you be able to just go to the bathroom in your own home and not have to answer about it? I think so many women are just brainwashed in this like patriarchal culture. And um, I think a lot of women, they, they, they want love from men so badly. 
that they will not respect themselves. They will not respect their needs because, I mean, going to the toilet is a need. And they will they will arrange around the, the fantasy of men. And I find it so, so sad. But at the same time, when I say that, a lot of my friends, for example, will tell me, but look, you're, you're single. And what can I say? That's true, because I don't want to play all these games. But is it necessary, though, that women, in order to be in heterosexual relationships, or rather healthy heterosexual relationships, must we play these games? Must I mean, a lot of men, I know a lot of men, they don't expect me to go to the corner restaurant to use the bathroom. A lot of men think that sexism is bad. They think that women should have jobs and be every bit as free as they. There are men who are actually against marriage because they say marriage enslaves women more than it does them. There are men like this out there. Yeah, there are men like this, but I think, of course, there, there are good men and men like this, but a lot of men also, they will have, I mean, intellectually, they're okay with that, and they will say that they're they believe in that, but then they also have their own, you know, they, they've, they've been seeing a, a lot of actress and image and advertisements and, and their fantasy of this perfect woman that is not even a woman anymore still exists in their head and they will always prefer a woman like that sexually speaking. Their attraction is still uh, like that. And even if intellectually they, they're trying to move and they understand what we're saying, Sometimes I feel that it's like it's in it's kind of it's like in the subconscious mind. It it's hard for me. It's a bit like uh, let's say you're a woman and you watch uh, a lot of porn and you get stuck into that. Then it's gonna take so much time uh, for you in your subconscious mind to like you know to to get rid of these images to 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 find yourself again. Like, and I feel a lot of women are also stuck into that. Uh, or of men, sorry, uh, are stuck into that. But a lot of feminists maintain that it's impossible to have a, an egalitarian relationship with a man. Hence, one of the solutions that has been posited is political lesbianism. What are your views on political lesbianism? Um, I, I find it very interesting. Um, I, I find the theory very interesting. And I think what I think is that a lot of women who are heterosexual are bisexual or they could be bisexual but because we're there is not so many movies or films or, and you don't see so many romantic movies about lesbians then maybe you don't project into it so you you don't really think about it and you you also just want to be uh, have a, a easy life and then you you just think oh i'm 100% heterosexual so for me i feel that it's pos it's possible to become a political lesbian if you're bisexual and then you you understand that you have attraction for women but that you never really ch chose it in some way or that you always kind of like thought oh i find her attractive but uh i'm heterosexual uh, i'm just used to men I, I know how to do it with men it's just uh, an easier pathway in my life uh in this way i believe it's possible but I, if you're not bisexual I, I don't think it's possible to become a political lesbian just because uh you want to quit men i, I think also it's wrong because then it makes you believe that you can choose your own sexuality 
and your own attractions. And I don't believe that's that's true. I can I think if you're bisexual, you can just orient it. You can just choose to not have relationship with men anymore. But uh, if you're 100% heterosexual, I think you cannot uh, just become a political lesbian. No, I agree. Uh, I'd say that the for me, the problem with political lesbianism is that it is ultimately quite homophobic if you insist that women must abdicate desire. For me, sexuality yeah. is all about desire. Even the bisexual woman should be allowed to have her object of desire come to her in terms of her desire, not in terms of a choice. And this is something yeah. that's troubled me simply because I understand people who opt for this kind of, of theoretical praxis. It's really divided between theory and action. Uh, I'm not sure which is best, but I don't really feel that it does any favors for homosexual desire, such that mm. we decide that we are in love with a person, not because we wake up and say, I'm going to fall in love with her today. That's, that's not the way it happens. And I'm thinking, I just watched no. this film last night you're going to kill me, but I just watched the latest film with Jennifer Lopez called Marry Me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to give a very intellectual uh, resume of the film, uh -huh. but I will say this okay. much. The film is probably more apt to be paragoned, to be compared with South Asian style arranged marriages in the sense of you get married now, you fall in love later. That's sort of the basis of the story. But I would say that if we had to use that film to discuss political lesbianism, it could never work as long as, as you mentioned, the woman is not either bisexual or simply not attracted to the object of desire placed in front of her. So yeah. we have a problem where if political resistance then is placed on the same terrain as desire as choice, and I don't want to live a life without desire. I don't want to live a life where I have to abdicate my desire for safety, political safety, I mean. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that. But I think, unfortunately, right now, identity and desire are, are getting mixed in the, in, the, yeah, in the head of a lot of people. And... Um, for example, now I feel, at least in France, the asexual movement is getting uh, bigger. Um, and it's, uh, and they make it very, very political. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a good thing to, that's, that's what I'm talking at the end of my book. It's because my book is very political and it's about, about female sexuality in politics, but at the end, at the end, I feel it kind of, I don't know, it kind of hurt me to, to, to write it because now I, I feel I'm very lost in my desires because I don't know what my, are my, my own desires anymore because I politicized it too much. And, and now I feel if I have desire, I, I'm going to be, oh, that's wrong. I, I don't know how to explain. Then um, I feel that my instinct, my animal side, is repressed by my political mind. And I find it, it's not nice to live with that. Yeah, yeah, especially since the whole point of our having freedom is to live our freedom as well. Yeah. So 
we we must on the one hand live freely to the extremes that we can and the extremes that yeah. i say i don't mean some of the nonsense that we're talking about the extremism of male rights advocates who are their extremism is having us kowtow to their fable that they are women i'm talking about true extreme pleasure extreme freedom being able to simply walk outside without a mask that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about yeah. the truckers in canada and now southern california and new zealand i'm talking about political resistance as it should be that in these past two years most people have forgotten about by the way um yeah i think being able to say no I'd rather have COVID than be locked up in my house for another two years, thank you very much. And, <laughs> and to be able to say, mm, and this is something, and I'm, I'm jumping to COVID here because it is related. I have had a very big problem in the way that if you recall, I don't know if you ever saw the debate between Michel Foucault and Noam Chomsky. And where no, are the debates on TV? We have been starved Gone. of debates. They haven't existed since the early 80s. And we should have had debates. We should have had philosophers. And uh, Georgia Gambon, Jean-Luc Nancy, who's now passed away, we should have had they, these two men arguing. They're lifelong friends, colleagues, and we should have seen them arguing about COVID mandates from the beginning. Yeah, because I agree. there's a, a serious problem when we have been sold the biggest lie. And the biggest lie is this. We have the average age in Italy of people dying as a result of COVID is these will be f corrected in the future. But right now, the average age is anywhere between 82 and 84. And the way that mm. looks, it's higher than the average age of mortality. So I had to give <laughs> up my lively. I had to starve. I had to worry about money and not sleep for two years and not eat for two years properly. This is what happened to me all because of the threat of someone not living to 84. And this is a philosophical debate that we should have in the same way that we should be discussing that men are simply not women and screaming about it and telling me to suck your female dick will not make me change my mind. I also will not change my mind that we need to make this, this fluffy white cat out of the idea of death. We all are going to die. Where were the philosophers on nightly TV in Rai 1, Rai 2, in uh, Television Nationale de France? Where was this happening where we had philosophers saying, we need to embrace death. We need to support our loved ones in their time of death. We cannot forego death. No matter how many freedoms we give up, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and sometimes our siblings who are sick with other comorbid situations are going to die. Why? I mean, you talked about health earlier. Where were the health experts coming on saying, everyone get vitamin D, everyone start eating these foods, everyone, mushrooms, mushrooms are good for you. Insane. I was very shocked because uh, I'm very interested in the microbiome and immunity. Yes. And a lot of things can like, if you if you improve your microbiome, then it, now it's proved that it's probably linked to having a, a long COVID, because your microbiome is not in good health. So the, it, 
uh, for me, when COVID happened, I was thinking that, oh, maybe it's maybe they're finally going to educate people about health and immunity and how this all works. But no, nothing, nothing. Just just get the fucking vaccine and, and that's it. But it's phenomenal how many feminists got on board with this. And this is something that I was a little shocked by in, in feminist groups where I was. Everything was fine until I mentioned COVID. And then suddenly it was like, I asked in one group, I said, does anyone know of other journalists like myself who are have, or, you know, there are journalists in the group. Are other journalists having problems getting their stories past editors about psychological ramifications of lockdown? I was told that I was denying COVID because I asked other journalists if they had the same problem that I was having two years ago discussing mental health issues. Two years later, you notice there are very few discussions about mental health. Yet, I was told recently, Australia, which had an overload of psychologists, especially child psychologists, two years ago, suddenly has a six month wait to see a psychologist for a child. Wow. So yeah. these are issues that are are being gatekept by people, including women, including feminists, because I yeah. think the fear of death was a very powerful tool. Yeah, and the fear of death you can also see it in the in the vegan movement. Uh, it, it's getting very big because also, I mean, I'm not against it, but I I believe that. It's an ideology that is very, very scared of um, of death, and I find it. Uh, I think we should respect animals much more than that. But uh, death is not always something that is. Um, how can I say? It shouldn't be evil all the time, and right now um, it's always about that and. Uh, it's strange because, uh, you know, Switzerland, uh, they're apparently really bad with women, but they're one, at least they talk about death. It's, it's a country where, for example, you know, you can get, um, you can decide to die. They, they can give you, you know, a, like a, a pill so you can die when you want. Uh, when in most other or European countries, you cannot choose, uh, for example, when you die. And I don't know, uh, I, I feel uh, the, the only place where I feel like the discussion around death are interesting are in the psychedelic movements uh, in the United States and all around the world. I feel that people were into plant medicine and psychedelic plant medicine um, because when you take that, you can kind of uh, have a near-death experience. Uh, then people are are talking about death and and having are much more relaxed about it and open about talking about that talking about covid so yeah timothy leary he wanted to die on the internet if you recall and then he he didn't quite die on the internet uh, the circumstances are quite interesting around that. But Timothy Leary spoke and wrote quite a bit about near-death experiences, psycho psychedelic uh, drugs and so forth. And this prohibition of discussing death is marked in the West. Meanwhile, my family back in India, <laughs> you talk to them about, I mean, yes, a lot of my family has died as a result of COVID, but 
Indians are dying at very high rates from other diseases that receive far less attention that in fact could be solved through sanitation measures. But the thing is that I think India and other countries are, are more okay with this because they still have a strong spiritual culture. When you don't have spirituality, this is so scary. Uh, when you don't think about what's behind this, when you don't have any kind of idea, then, I mean, I think if you believe that life is just material and, and that that's the end of it, then that sounds like a terrible thing. And we're coming to the time of where many people, including, I've said this recently myself on the show, even if I might not be pro-organized religion, I do see that there's a need for people to return to religion, if you catch me. There is a, a yeah. certain lack of community that has been lost as well as a result of this yeah. turning away from religion to ideology. Hence, I yeah. guess if I had my druthers, I would much rather be in a group of people who pray to an imaginary person in the sky over men who claim that I should accept them as women. I believe the former. I don't believe the latter. Yeah, of course. But um, I think, at least in feminism, there is a branch that is, uh, how can I say in English, um, femini feminist spirituality, or they, they believe in a woman's go uh, goddess. And I feel that there is kind of a movement. Um, uh, some people think it's bullshit. Other people think it just helps them. I run also like periods and the moon and la la la. And at the end, at the beginning, I was a bit skeptic about all that. And now I find it actually very useful uh, because I think people at the end, they, they kind of need like an idea of God or, or an idea that there is something after death. And um, I think as women, we need uh, to create like new kind of spirituality where we, where we don't pray for a God, we, 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 we relate it to a goddess. I think it, 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 it can probably make sense and help. How would you approach the younger generation of women, even younger than yourself, who are seeing what's happening between Me Too on the left, trans women are women on the right, and they have a huge question mark? What do you say to them? Because they are quite confused. They're getting media messages largely confirming that Harvey Weinstein is a bad man, but he's not he's just one of a few and on the other hand all these poor men they just need love and we need to be, accept them i would uh, that's what you usually say i i think it's very important for women to think for themselves and uh, what i think is best is to read a, a lot of different books so i would read uh, queer books i would read uh, gender critical books i would uh, read books about like uh, rape culture and but i would also read books uh, written by uh, men who don't believe in rape culture um, and then i think that if you get all the information if you make this effort then you can probably um, have an, an idea for yourself and you can evolve with all this kind of different ideas and I mean, if you're logical, you, you, you will end up like most logical women and understand what's going on and what's wrong.
Thank you.